never give up, never surrender from Galaxy Quest because that ultimately is what Cecilia has to do. She can, can never give up. She can never surrender. And and the whole themes within Cecilia is this whole thing about do you just exist or do you live? And I'm not sure why all those themes are important to me, but they are. There's something that I get very passionate about. I think there's nothing worse than someone who doesn't have hope. I think that's so heartbreaking. Welcome to the Daily Authors Podcast, a daily podcast all about books and the authors who gave them life. Each episode, your host interviews a new brilliant author as they reveal inside information about their incredible books and inspiring lives. Now, here's your host, Aaron Gendel. Hey, Aaron Gendel here. I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Daily Authors Podcast. It means so, so much to me. And maybe you've been thinking about writing a book of your own. And if so, do not wait. The world is hurting and needs your help. It needs your book. I would love to help you on your journey to write your book. So simply email me at Aaron at dailyauthors.com and I'd love to hear about your book idea. Now enjoy the show. All right. Thank you so much, Sandra Rastarola, for joining me on the Daily Authors Podcast. So excited to talk to you about your book, Cecilia. Thanks again for joining me on the show, Sandra. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me, Aaron. It's very exciting. Awesome. Well, before we jump into your book, Sandra, wouldn't mind telling us a little bit more about yourself and your work and what you've got going on right now. I'm originally from Australia, if people can't tell from my accent, and I live in Los Angeles. I'm here as an implant because my husband's a composer. During the day, I work part-time for a film production company that is actually based in South Africa, but we have a new branch here in Los Angeles. So I get to do a lot of development. I get to read a lot of screenplays and give notes. And that's kind of my day. We Hopefully we'll be ramping up early next year and going into production. We will see. That will be uh-huh. fun. That will keep me busy. But otherwise in my downtime, I'm writing. Writing, writing, writing. <laughs> Exciting. Well... Let's dive into your book, Cecilia. I'm eager to hear about it and uh, sure the listeners are too. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to write it and give us that overview of the book. Sure. The the short story is um, Cecilia is a young adult fantasy adventure. And I mean, to sum it up, it's the story of a naive forest dweller and her epic journey to save the goddess of light. So um, that's the the small crux of the story. How this story came about, I guess you might say I'm an accidental author because this story started off as a ballet. My husband, who I've mentioned, is a composer. During downtime that he had one year, he said, I'm going to write a ballet. And all he knew was that he wanted it to be epic and he wanted it to centre around good and evil. So I said, that will be fantastic. Let me be your librettist. A libretto runs four to eight pages and really it's just broad strokes of what a story should be. So I thought, I can do that. That'll be easy. Yeah. So, you know, we came out up with the five acts of the story. You know, a ballet has a specific way it needs to be and so we came up with the five acts and off I went. (laughs) (laughs) And I would write pages and I'd take it to my husband and he'd read it and he'd say, that's great, keep writing. This went on for six weeks, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm at 90 pages. I got to 90 pages. He turned around and said, Oh, my schedule, I'm slammed. My schedule's so busy. 
I went, well, what am I supposed to do with this? He said, turn it into a novel. So <laughs> literally that is how the 90 pages then got pushed out to what I think 334, I oh, think. Wow. <laughs> and I ended up with a novel, which has been quite exciting because I've garnered a few, a handful of awards for it. And it's just been a really crazy, unexpected journey for me. Wow, so, incre- incredible. Yes, yes. Sounds like a fun book to read. Would you mind just telling us um, about the story? Yeah, about the story a little bit more. Maybe just dive into a maybe a particular section or part of the book that inspires you the most or that you maybe enjoyed writing the most. Oh, well, I'll tell you a quick little bit about the story. So we're, it is post-apocalyptic and the fantasy element is definitely more mythology. So um, basically we're 200 years past what's the Great War and the last surviving city of Vetus is rebuilding itself only corrupt senators are in control and because of this the goddess of light is dying so far away in this little village is 18 year old cecilia and it, her people and her innocence they're the only group left that can keep the goddess alive they're their light problem is darkness finds her village and everyone gets killed uh, except cecilia and all the young men get stolen Basically, the goddess is to the point where she's almost about to die and she has no other choice than to pour her remaining light into Cecilia. Mm. Now, unaware that she's a vessel for the goddess, Cecilia sets off in search of her brothers, but yet ultimately finds herself front and centre in this ultimate battle, battle between good and evil. So she literally has to find a way to defeat the senators and free the, the people, the citizens of Vetus. Because if she can't, the goddess will die. And if the goddess does die, then that's the end of all humanity. So, so that's the story. The, the, the part for me that I, I loved writing the most is I also like to refer to this as an epic love story because there is this love mm. interest who is, starts off as an assassin who is actually sent by the senators to kill Cecilia. But in this chapter, chapter 7, we have this guy, Amalard, he's supposed to kill Cecilia, but he doesn't. And we find out why later, because even he doesn't understand why he doesn't kill her. So instead he takes her prisoner. And along the way he goes through this journey of, I guess, the peeling off of an onion, and he literally goes from captor to guide to protector, because that's what we find out about Amalard later. We find out that he's from this long-lost order who his people and where he ultimately came from ultimately protect Cecilia, you know, this individual that's that's carrying the goddess of light inside her. Yeah. So that's the story. But just the unveiling of Amalad and just taking this, this man who's struggling to find his humanity but really doesn't even realise he doesn't have any humanity until he meets Cecilia, you know, this person who's just lived this pure life like she literally lives life but Amalad and, and the people where he came from life is just life is an existence that's all life is for them mm. and I just really liked that that's my favorite chapter for me the, um, yeah amazing healing of the onion so to speak did you have any ties back to I guess your own life or your own experiences I guess how did you come up with this story specifically Oh, gosh. The five-act structure, I would say that, you know, Kurt had an idea of what he wanted, but it's all very basic stuff, you know, like 
We start off with Cecilia in Plockton. I get that as a as Act One. That's all I get. Okay. Cecilia meets Amalad. You know, like there was always this thing that we always knew that there was going to be good and evil, and there was going to be an assassin. That was part of the ballet story. I get and it. Always knew that there was going to be a battle. There always had to be a battle. But oh gosh, how I don't know. How did I fill in all the rest? Yeah. I just, just I would your say imagination, huh? <laughs> the honestly, my imagination. Um, the interpersonal stuff. I mean, how much does it play on real life? Oh, look, oh, oh, <laughs> my husband and I laugh that. A lot of the relationship between Cecilia and Amalad is potentially me and him. He's Swiss German. <laughs> and so when we first met, he was a very word. You know, he was insular. Like he said what he said and that was it sort of thing. And I'm this Australian who just, you know, I don't maybe didn't have any boundaries, if that makes sense. <laughs> I was kind of like this bubbly Cecilia that would literally she's constantly asking Amalad all these questions, constantly pulling emotion out of him, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you know, maybe that dynamic, of course I've pushed the envelope on it, but I would we laugh about that, that that's a very similar thing to us. Um, but everything else, honestly, my imagination. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Sounds like an amazing know. story. Uh, obviously winning some awards for it and uh, so... Must yes. be a very good read there. <laughs> I hope so. What I hear, what I hear from my readers is those that love the book, because they say it's an easy read and I don't take that as an insult because I've written it for young adult audiences, so it shouldn't yeah, be complex. It's, it's, it's not a short they, book, so that, that's great, I mean, to hear Yeah, and <laughs> you can read it in one, one pass and in one night. And that to me is always exciting when I hear wow. that, that they just don't want to put it down. So... Yeah. Fun, fun. Yeah, awesome. Well, maybe we could just dive into a little bit more about you, Sandra. I just wondered, and I'm always curious about authors and what's really uh, influenced them in their life to become one. I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit more about what's influenced you in your life to be where you're at today. Sure. When I was a kid, I always wanted to write. And I think about that. I think back and I'm like, gosh, I always wanted to write. But the thing is, I'm a science, math, chemistry gal. Uh I was, you know, literally top of my class in those areas. I've got a science degree. And so I never thought that writing would be something that I, A, could do and B, should do. Because all the teachers at school always pushed the science and the math. Now, the funny thing was, I would notice on my create, oh, and by the way, I did struggle with English. I really did. It was my Mm. worst subject for me. Grammar, it was, I had a tough time with it. And I would get my, during the exams, we would always have a creative writing assignment. And that was the one assignment where the teacher wouldn't weigh spelling or grammar. They literally would weigh up the points on the story and the creativity and I always got my best marks like literally I'd be getting 28 out of 30 29 out of 30 whereas for all my comprehension work that I had to do it's like 16 out of 30 yeah. but they still encouraged me it's not like they said hey they were just like you know pat on the shoulder that was nice now go off and do your math and your science <laughs> and everything so it was always there as a lingering thing and 
I think I really took the bull by the horns when I came to LA and I started to take classes at UCLA, at the UCLA Extension. Because I thought, oh, maybe if I at least start writing screenplays, because you don't need a lot of grammar with screenplays, maybe I can get out my creativity that way. And I took a story analysis class, and the teacher said that a lot of people that are good at math are very good at story. And I, like, that took a while for, to sink in. I was like, what? And we talked about it. And so I think for me to hear that, I went, oh, okay, then maybe I can write. But I had a lot of barriers. I had a lot of internal um, fear, I guess is the word, to overcome um, because not receiving any encouragement from teachers or anyone about this passion. And I accidentally write my first novel. I mean, I have to thank my husband for um, deciding not to do the ballet. And it's now I'm on. I'm halfway through my second novel, and I have another manuscript which is finished, which I actually have an agent for, who's currently, literally at the moment, pitching it out to publishers. Awesome. For, for this Amazing. I did self-publish Cecilia. That one I do want to make clear, and I have no problem with that. It's been a really good experience, but for the other manuscript, that is not one that I would like to self-publish. I actually would like the, um, yeah. the other story to, to get out there through a publisher. Well, you'll have both experiences, so you'll... Exactly, exactly. I will see, but at least, because I do hear stories for the people that get traditionally published about having to still sometimes do their own marketing. You know, yeah. if you're not going to do massive sales up front, you sort of still have to do your own marketing. At least I've had experience with that. <laughs> so that's yeah, that will help for sure. Yeah. Well, you'll have then you'll know in your third one. Like, all right, which way do I really want to go now? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit more about failure, if you don't mind. I'm always curious to know a bit more about the authors and their experiences in life, and particularly failure, because I believe they teach us a lot of times the most. And so I wonder if there was any particular um, failure in your life that you might feel uh, open to sharing with us today. Oh my gosh. I thought about this question a lot and it's not like there isn't failures. I mean, glory be, I've had so <laughs> many failures. Um, and I'm like the only, the, but of course, of course for me, the, the failure I came up with was more of a writing failure because there's a writer at that but I knew that's not what you wanted. I'm like, there has to be this personal failure. <laughs> I know there does. That that works. Something... Whatever, whatever you, whatever yeah, I... you want to share. Yeah, I think the failure that I will share because it, it truly did shape me a lot as a writer was not necessarily having any idea what I was doing when I was writing and choosing to write the story because it was epic and big from an omniscient point of view. And I kept reading, oh, that's the hardest point of view to write from. And I'm thinking, why? <laughs> why is this so hard? I'm just writing until I give it out to beta readers and you sort of get notes back of it feels a bit dense and the emotion feels a little bit at arm's length and I was like, oh, okay. And so that was my biggest failure of not understanding point of view and not knowing point of view. So literally I then had to do a page one rewrite and pull back to a first-person limited. Hmm. So I did that. 
but I still would change characters. You know, I'd be in different characters because I had to because when I wrote the Omniscient version, there were things that were happening that Cecilia had no idea about. So if I was in her point of view, I wouldn't know the story. So I'd jump into someone else's point of view. That was all great yeah. until I sat my editor. And we had a big chat about that because the first half of the book is the journey between Cecilia and Amelard, and I stay in Cecilia's point of view because Amelard's the onion who's being peeled. And I, if I jumped into his point of view, we would understand his emotions earlier, and I, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> and so I had the first half of the book in one point of view for the most part, and then the second half of the book, you know, in different points of view. And <laughs> make a decision. I had to either bring in Amelard's point of view, which I didn't want to do. I had to strip everything back to Cecilia's point of view. Wow. And I cried. I did. I literally flopped on my bed and I cried because I'd oh. already done a page one rewrite. I've already, so I knew this meant another page one rewrite. But what scared me the most was realizing there were story points I either had to get rid of which I didn't know how I'd get rid of them because they were so integral to the plot, yeah. or I had to come up with a way for Cecilia to kind of know that story point. So the learning experience for me, while that was painful, like it was incredibly painful, like rewrite, like doing a rewrite's fine, but when you're rewriting and you're totally changing the point of view, like that's a whole page yeah. one rewrite. <laughs> wow. That was really painful to go through all that. But what I did learn was really creative ways to tell stories. Like if there was a scene that I knew I still wanted to keep that Cecilia wasn't watching it, like one scene in particular, I knew I wanted to keep it where her brother was um, caught inside the prison and he was being interrogated by one of the soldiers and the soldier was choking him. Now I'd initially written that from her brother's point of view, so it was fine. But now I had to figure out, well, how does Cecilia know what's going on? She can't see it. But I was like, oh, my gosh, she can hear it. And quite truthfully, writing that scene from her point of view and only hearing, oh. I think is more powerful because when she can't hear anything at all, she's freaking out thinking, is her brother dead? What's mm. going on? So I came out of that going, for as painful as it was to go through this process, I kind of think my story is a far better story because I'm not sure I would have written a lot of the storylines that I would have written, if that makes sense, if I hadn't yeah. have done it omniscient if that makes sense you get what i'm saying yeah because absolutely. as soon as you limit yourself to someone's point of view sometimes you don't think outside the box and think well what else could be happening because if that person's not there to witness it how could that event actually happen so yeah I, i'm talking to another author i hope do you understand what i'm saying Is, am I oh making, absolutely yeah uh, i mean I, i'm not a fiction writer but uh, i can oh okay but yeah. but I can, I mean, I've read fiction books and I, I understand uh, that what you're saying, it, it makes it's, total sense. And it's almost like the curiosity of not knowing can build that suspense for the moment. Yeah. 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 So ah, um, that was my. Yeah. Well, you've appeared to have come out a much better writer out of it. And I guess that's what those, those seemingly quote unquote failures can help, right? And and your uh, novel that you spoke about coming out next will, I'm sure, benefit from that. Oh, absolutely, it does. Because believe me, that was the, the story. I can tell you that the reason this story is so important to me. This the, the next one that's coming out is because it does talk about 
heavy subjects. I'll be direct. It talks about mental health and depression and suicide, but written for the middle grade mm. um, reader. So it's a very it was a very difficult topic to pro to approach, and I had to be very specific about my point of view character and who that character was going to be. And this, but I knew all this. I knew all this after going through what I went through with Cecilia. Yeah. I knew it was going to be very specific, and I knew that for this particular story, I had to write it first person present, which was a whole different thing as well. <laughs> but honestly, I think learning what I learned for Cecilia made this story so much stronger, the one I'm talking about, because I got an agent for this one, yeah. for this particular story, which I didn't get for Cecilia. So, Well, it's exciting. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. it'll be amazing. So let no, me know uh, when it's finished, and uh, I'd love to talk to you about it then. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a big fan of quotes, Sandra. I didn't know if you had one in mind, but if you wouldn't mind sharing maybe a quote that inspires you often, I'd love to hear it. Sure. I mean, look, one of my favorite quotes is actually from the Shawshank Redemption, which Ah, is good old, ultimately Stephen King, but I do love the whole either get busy living or get busy dying. Uh Because it it really does center about around my core beliefs, which actually segues into another quote that I love as well, which is never give up, never surrender from Galaxy Quest, because that ultimately is what Cecilia has to do. She can't, can never give up. She can never surrender. And and the whole thing within Cecilia is this whole thing about do you just exist or do you live? And I'm not sure why all those themes are important to me, but they are. There's something that I get very passionate about. I think there's nothing worse than someone who doesn't have hope I think that's so heartbreaking and maybe I feel this way because I've had suicide in my life which is hence why I wrote this other novel my I was 13 when my dad committed suicide Mm. and that's the inspiration for writing this the, the other novel that I did and for people to go there they've literally lost hope that's it when you get there you have lost hope and for me I think that's just a a terrifying thing to ever be at that state where you do give up and you do surrender so yeah they're my my favorite quotes well thank you for sharing those personal stories and it's part of uh the life i guess in life we live it's Mm -hmm. important i think a big part of why i do what i'm doing here and hopefully and i hear this from a lot of authors um like yourself writing for you know, hopefully to just change at least one person, give them hope, give them the inspiration. So thank you again for, for sharing your story and those quotes here on this podcast today. I appreciate it. Well, that's why we do write, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have to do it for ourselves because there's this like, I always sort of talk about this thing inside that has to get out. I have this very uneasy feeling, but ultimately we do it because we, we hope we're going to entertain or move or affect someone's life. Yeah. You know, that's why we do what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you talked about it already a bit and spoke about some fear and doubt you might have had while you were going through the process and getting feedback and wondered if you could speak to it a little more 
and what really helped you overcome any fear, the fear and doubt that you had in the book writing process? Because I think this, uh, again, a lot of times blocks people from attempting to write a book or maybe writing another book if they've written one already. So anything that really helped you push, push you through fear and doubt? Having a really supportive partner, for starters, my husband. Yeah. Um, no, he just gave me the space to, to write my book, which was absolutely fantastic. And I think, look, yeah, it was terrifying getting my beta readers, but I knew I had to. I've got a lot of friends who are writers and I followed their path and I guess one thing I'll say about myself, so the way I came to America, I came to America, I graduated as a, a, I say physio, but over here it's a physical therapist. Recruiters came to my college and said, do you want to work in America? I said, yeah, sure. And my other friend also wanted to do it. So I literally just, he was more motivated than me, I guess you could say. So he, I'd be one step behind him. And he'd be like, well, we, we fill, you fill out this paperwork and you do this and you do that. And I was terrified the entire time, <laughs> but I just did it because there was a path and I said, I'm going to do it. I had that same approach with the book. Even though I was terrified to hand my book off to beta readers, I knew I had to because my friends had done it. It's just insane to not do it because I trusted they said you have to do it. So does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. I guess. I overcame my fear by just barreling through it by making sure at least I had good mentors or at least role models around me that's always very very helpful I think if you if you're struggling in the dark and you've got no one that would be tough but having friends around me who had done it before definitely help even with the marketing aspect and trying to get reviews and and all those things it's all just scary even trying to figure out kindle you know getting it published figuring out all of that is terrifying but having friends that i can call up and say okay what's an isbn again what do i have to do with it definitely helps yeah awesome so it sounds like you just pushed forward and you had yeah. some people to help support you through which was great yeah yes yeah absolutely absolutely let's talk oh. a little bit more about the book writing process and mm -hmm. Wondering if there were any other tips or anything else maybe you wish you had known before you started writing that you know now. Anything else you'd like to share around that? No, the, like I said, the point of view was the biggest thing. I okay. realized that why it is so important to sit and think about that before you start a novel. It is important. But when you don't know, you don't know. So, right? Yeah, that was, a, that was a big one. <laughs> but, I mean, look, honestly, in regards to um, also barreling through the writing process, I was quite surprised that feedback I also get is your world building. You know, you paint a really clear picture. And I'm like, oh, I do. But seriously, I use Google all the time. So <laughs> I knew Cecilia's journey. I mapped out Cecilia's journey by Googling locations. I'd Google locations in Scotland. And, you know, if I knew she had to climb over a mountain, I would Google these mountains and get ideas I found this great picture of this mountain that had this stream and the stream literally disappeared into the mountain so it was one of those streams that started from the, the porous rocks I would never have had that idea if yeah. I had googled and seen that picture and I, I literally print the pictures out or I, I have them 
in digital format and I'll put them up. If I'm writing that scene, I have that picture up on the screen and I'm literally describing what I'm seeing so I don't have to conjure up this image in my head. Then because of this particular picture of this stream that's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, I'm able to write this entire story about Amalad telling Cecilia, this is the last chance for water. This is it, the last chance. On the other side is desert. You know, like it just Google. That's all I can say. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's Google. amazing, amazing the world we live in now, right? And uh, yeah. the resources at our fingertips. Very yes. great tip, though. I think that's very helpful for anybody. I think even fiction or not, I think um, leveraging information that is out there to help us, um, you know, come up with more ideas and better pictures in our mind of what we can share with our readers. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Google, talking, going back to writer's block. I See, the block, I don't know whether block's always my issue because I've got my science background. I have to research everything to the nth degree and it might not necessarily be in the book, but I need to just know. Yeah. I really don't, just, I don't ever like just having a surface understanding of something. And I wasn't even able to get started with a word until I understood my good and evil. That was really important to me. I had to know. And in my head, I'm like, well, okay, I don't want to do the basic good and evil that we know about where good and evil exist independently of each other like God and the devil. You know, they, they exist, but they're independent of each other. Yeah. And then I'm, I don't want to do the superhero good and evil where they're codependent on each other, right? Because do the superheroes and their nemesis, they never kill each other. They don't want to kill each other because they'd have no purpose if they didn't have, right? right? If they didn't yeah. have their their black mirror. And my research took me to St. Augustine and that was amazing because St. Augustine has a theory. Um, he has this section called the problem of evil and he describes evil as being a corruption of good and how we are born 100% good and as evil takes over, it starts to corrupt the good. So you get to the point where you could be 90% evil and 10% good. But the second you become 100% evil, you actually cease to exist. And he sort of described it, he, he described it as an entity having cancer. That if you have cancer, the cancer starts eating away the host and it eats away at the host until the host is dead. But the second the host dies, cancer dies as well. And that, as soon as I read that, I went, this is brilliant. <laughs> this can work for me because that to me then sets Cecilia's stakes really high. That if goodness dies, if the, if the goddess of light dies, then, yeah, you'll get rid of evil, but you'll also get rid of everything. Like it'll be the end of everyone. Mm. Everyone will go. And so because of that, I sort of repurposed St. Augustine's theory into a quote it's not a real quote my editor was funny my editor's like Sandra I can't find this St Augustine quote online anywhere I said yeah but if he was alive today he'd read this quote and he'd be like yep you have totally nailed what I am saying and the quote goes in the absence of good there can be no evil for there can be nothing at all and I attribute that to St Augustine and once I had that I was off and running with my <laughs> It just it opened up the doors to just write the entire story once I knew their interaction. But, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Thank you for sharing all those details. It's very interesting to hear you talk through it.
Uh, well, you've touched on uh, my questions, really. I just wanted to make sure I got the last one in there. I wanted to know from you what the best part of being an author now and writing a book has been for you. Okay. I'm going to tell you one. So, I mean, getting the feedback is always lovely when you get a, get a review. That's just always nice. But the cutest thing ever, well, there's been actually two things, but one was, one of my friends has been amazing. One of my old school friends. Every time I go back to Australia, she's like, I need another copy of your book. We've got to buy so she's bought a ton and she'll give them out to her, you know, cousins, nieces, nephews, friends, kids. One of her friend's daughters, who's a 12, I believe, wanted to be a judge in a writing competition. She was 12. She wanted to be a judge. <laughs> and she had to write a letter and, you know, she had to answer some questions. And one of the questions was, who was your favourite author and why? And I was her favourite author. <laughs> I mean, that was, yeah, stuff like that keeps you going for months and months and months. That's awesome. Uh, when you hear that you've, you know, come on, when, you, when you've got all these other massive authors out there that young kids love, that they could have all been, you know, there's so many other authors that could have been listed and I got listed. Yeah, that was amazing. Pretty awesome, yeah. Very cool. You mentioned there was a second thing. Is that was it oh that? okay? Second thing. So yeah. at my book launch here in Los Angeles, another one of my readers, who I think he's twelve. This is twelve. Oh no, he was eleven. He was eleven at the time. He just sat down and he was reading it. Like he got up to I think chapter thirteen that first night. He got up to, and wow. then I caught up with his dad a few months ago, and he said, "Oh yeah, he's read your book four times." <laughs> my seriously and he's like yeah absolutely and just to me and I tell my mum that story because again you know mum's like and he's a boy as well like for whatever reason boys don't read or something <laughs> like that's the um that's incredible yes I guess but I guess also for me look I'm aware I've got a book called Cecilia you know it's called Cecilia oh this will be an interesting tidbit for you the reason it's called Cecilia it's pretty simple. That Kurt came up with that. That was his. That was his big thing because Cecilia is the patron saint of composers. <laughs> so ah. I couldn't necessarily change the name. I mean, the ballet was going to be called Cecilia, and I'm like, uh, I, I literally did toy around with changing the name because I thought I think I need something a little bit stronger. Like the city is called Vetus, and maybe I should just call it Vetus. You know, something. But I got used to the idea that it's going to be called Cecilia and, and that's fine. But I do understand that, you know, for a young boy reading a book called Cecilia might be a bit strange. But the thing is, the thing that I find fascinating is my cover art with the, with the wolf, um, sort of this very um, striking cover art that I found this amazing German designer to come up with the concept art. Yeah, for. I love your cover. It, yeah. it is very eye-catching and I think that I've balanced out the softness with the harshness mm. enough because even when I'm at like um, little pop-up bookstalls, I've gone to a couple of those where I sell my books, I am quite surprised that the young boys are still drawn to that imagery of this wolf with the one red eye, like yeah. it's harsh enough, sort of grungy enough, I guess, for them that they don't mind that it's called Cecilia. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's... Yeah, eye-catching and like draws people in obviously yeah I, I noticed that right away as well so kudos on that <laughs> well I wanted to make sure I didn't 
I miss anything, Sandra. So if there was anything else at all you'd like to share, or if there was a question you would have asked yourself, you were in my shoes, what would that be? Not especially. Um, I think I've mentioned that I'm I'm halfway through my current novel. I mean, this book too. I mean, it's supposed to be a trilogy. I will admit this. It's supposed to be a trilogy. But I'm halfway through book two, and I've already beat out. I know exactly how it's going to end. So the entire trilogy is mapped out. Problem is, I'm thinking it might just be a duology because <laughs> of where I'm up to it. And I'm like, hang on, I've already entered the three three storylines at the moment, but I'd be cool. I'm totally cool with it. Is that in addition to the the book you mentioned uh, yeah, earlier? Yeah, totally separate book. That's, yeah. um, that's a middle grade, upper middle grade coming of age story. So it's yeah. not even part of this That's what series. I thought, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a separate thing. So. You're working on them both kind of the same time, building them out? No, no, that's the thing. Book two took longer. I was supposed to jump into book two straight away. But what happened is I went back to Australia and did a little book launch back there and ran into a friend from school and she told me how her, the father of her children had committed suicide. And she has had at that time two girls. I think they were like 12 and 15. And I just looked at my girlfriend and went, you know, oh, my gosh, you're my mum because I was 13 when my dad committed suicide and I had some brothers and sisters. So here's another young mum having to bring up kids, right? Oh, and it's just sort of really strange. And and my friend said to me, she said, look, I can deal with everything. She goes, I'm able, I can deal with the death. I can deal, you know, she's doing everything she needs to do. But she said the one thing she can't deal with is her kids asking her mummy, why did daddy do it? Yeah. She said that yeah. that question just breaks her heart every time. Wow. So I had a 14-hour flight back from Sydney to LA and I couldn't get this thought out of my head. And I'm like, look, no one will ever be able to answer the question, why does someone do it? No, you, you never will. But I thought maybe I can at least come up with a, I don't know, a language to help young kids understand things that might happen and why we might get to that point, if that makes sense. I see, yeah. Yeah, so that book kind of happened. That book came to me. See, whereas Cecilia I conjured up, you know, we, I sort of forced Cecilia, Cecilia to come to me, this book was inside me and it said, no, I had to write it. I just And so Cecilia book two got pushed to the side while I wrote Making Friends with Monsters. That's what that book's called. So I wrote making friends with monsters and I've been working on Cecilia book two solidly for the past three months I would say Got it. now yeah. it's completely done and nothing I can do with it now it's in the hands of the gods the publishing gods at the moment got it got it well all the best with that I think that's yeah, yeah that's a great mission there I think that's just tragic and yeah I think it it sounds like it could be very helpful yeah, well, I went again. I had my beta readers read it, young kids read it, from uh-huh. like between ages of twelve and fifteen. And I, cr- I mean, I cried with some of the feedback. I had two boys, and again, I'm like boys writing me letters. What they went out of their way and wrote letters to me. Wow. And one of them said, "Of all the emotions we go through as kids, you've nailed every single one of them, every single one." And he said, you know, this book could save lives. And I just started crying. When I read that, I went, oh, my gosh, this is a young kid telling me this and he's able to relate to it. So, Awesome. 
I I don't know. It's well, either important. way, I know. Yeah, you got to get it out there. It sounds like it's. Uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, good luck with that. I am sure it'll. Um, I'm sure you'll help a lot of people with it. And really, just wanted to make sure the listeners, lastly, could find out where you, they can connect with you online. So, if there's oh. any where you'd like to point them to, go ahead. Yes. Right ahead. I've, you know what I've noticed, and I noticed this when I went to my last conference. There are authors that have a different Twitter handle to the Instagram handle. To and I'm like, why would you do that? Why have you got different handles? Everyone, my handle is the same. It is my <laughs> first initial S, my middle initial L, and then my lovely Italian last name Rosterola with ten letters. <laughs> and that's it. So you can get me, if you can get that, you can go to www.slrosterola or you can go to at slrosterola in Twitter or at slrosterola on Instagram. Awesome. Very simple. Yes. Sounds like the way to do it. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you so much again, Sandra. I really appreciate your time and yeah, talking me through the story. You've got my creative juices flowing and imagining all the, the scenes that you've painted for me. So I really appreciate it. And- Thank you, Aaron. And th- again, thank you for doing this for authors. It's um, your story is amazing too, and I'm blown away with how many authors, with how many time slots you have open for people to talk to you and tell you their stories. It's fantastic. So thank you. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure. Thank you again, and um, keep up the great work. Okay. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to the Daily Authors Podcast. Be sure to visit dailyauthors.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content.